we are, I think it's actually a really great <laughs> segue. I think part of living as people of a new humanity, a new family, a new community that God is creating, one of the things that we do is we share the joy and the sorrow, the burden we carry together. And um, I know I am just so immensely grateful to be a part of a place and a people who take those things seriously. And again, this is what we're talking about and what we've been talking about the last few weeks is this new thing that God is doing. When we began a few weeks ago, we started with remembering this truth that there is a shared identity that all of us have. And this even extends to our enemies or if you would prefer to use the term kind of, maybe you want to think about the other, the other, whoever the other is in your life. You know, we have a shared humanity, everyone made by God, created in God's image. And that when remembered is incredibly transformative to our relationships. We built on that the next week and talked though about how we have a, a deep need to to take a posture of humility with each other, to admit that we might not see the whole picture, that we might be wrong, that we need each other. Again, we might even need our enemy or the other among us. And then last week we talked about the, again, the transformative power of proximity and curiosity. The story of the Good Samaritan, this enemy who draws close to the person who has been wounded and in drawing close uh, offers something that the other needs. And it's that drawing close and that being curious about each other that can shift the dynamics when we're thinking about these people in our lives who we disagree with, who we feel so strongly are wrong, who have hurt us, um, who seem to be against us. And today I want to talk about this word commonality, the commonality that is shared even among enemies and people who we believe to be the other. To get there, let's look at Galatians 3. These are verses 26 to 29. Paul writes to the church in this ancient city of Galatia, this area of Galatia, Paul says this, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I think it's difficult, uh, maybe even impossible for our 21st century ears 
to hear these verses and fully comprehend how, how they blew kind of everything up to the people that would have heard them. I was trying to think of a, a modern day comparison, and I don't know that I have one, but I thought of, you know, what if, what if the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers today issued a joint statement saying, we, we recognize that we've been enemies and foes for, for a very, very long time, but you know what? We're now going to start to work together. No longer two teams, but, but one fighting for the same thing, working towards the same goal. And I see you, Sarah Lumberg. Wouldn't that be amazing? All right, that would be stunning. Or how about this one? Imagine if President Trump and Vice President Biden released a statement today saying that they recognize that they have significant differences uh, they do not agree on many things, in fact. But they've decided that it's better that they root themselves in what they have in common and they work together. So no longer are they going to run opposed in this election, but they are going to join the same ballot. I know this is impossible, but work with me here. And, and share power uh, if elected. I, I don't think we would believe it actually, if that happened. Um, I think we would <laughs> believe it to be fake news, right? Really fake news. I mean, there, there's no way that a division that great, a hostility that strong gets overcome, right? And yet I think that is exactly what is happening here in Galatians 3. When people read what Paul says in verse 28, they would have had to sit down. This would have been too much. And they would have probably looked at each other and said, is he serious? Because it's not that God seems to be tweaking a few things around the edges. No, it's that God is doing something fundamentally new and different. A brand new way of being human is now possible. And we are invited into it. The question, of course, might be how? <laughs> How do we enter into this new humanity where there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female? Well, I think Paul gives us a sense of this. I think he shows us that one of the things that we have to do if we are to enter into this new way of being is that we have to rediscover our commonality. I want you to notice again that new language that Paul introduces in Galatians 3 and how it highlights what these people who were in fact very different, what they shared. It's not that Paul denies that there's Jew and Gentile or even that he's looking to get rid of um, any sense of male and female. 
those differences do exist. And the scriptures don't seem to be saying that we should just pretend that we're all the same and that no difference exists. Instead, I think what the scriptures are saying is that we are more than those things that make us different. There are things that are shared in common that actually transcend whatever differences we may have. And where we get in trouble, where things start to go off the rails, what deepens divisions and keeps us stuck in this old way of being human is when the only thing we see in our enemy or in the other is our differences. And I know uh, this is so easy to do. How about a little, a little mental exercise here? Imagine that you're driving down the road. And in front of you, as you pull up to a stoplight, you realize the car in front of you has a bumper sticker for the political candidate that you are not going to vote for. In other words, in front of you is your enemy. And as you're noticing this bumper sticker, it immediately triggers in you a whole host of emotions and thoughts. And you begin to imagine all of the ways that this person is different than you are. All the ways that you disagree, all the things that you don't see eye to eye on. And now you're riled up and the light turns green and you start to drive down the road, but you're caught now in this rut of difference. And all you can see is that difference. In fact, um, you, you kind of fail to miss that, sure, they have a bumper sticker for that candidate, but uh, they also happen to have a bumper sticker uh, for the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes state, no sharks, no salt. But you don't see this. You don't think to yourself, oh, I wonder if they're a Michigander like I am, or I wonder if they love to go to the beach the way that I do. None of that enters your mind because you're so hyper-focused on what is different between you. Nor do you notice that there's a child's baby seat in the back seat of this vehicle. And because you're so caught up in what is different, you do not imagine or wonder if they're a parent or a grandparent or a really cool aunt and uncle. You don't think about what you might share in that regard about how you both might really love to hang out with young kids or how you're a person who can't wait until kids become teenagers or none of that enters your mind. And when you get a couple of blocks down the road and they turn into their driveway, you're now so riled up again, so angry or frustrated or whatever it might be, that you don't even register that this person is your neighbor. They've pulled into a driveway that's within walking distance of your own home. You, you don't register that you share the same geography 
that maybe you might have some things in common because again, all that you saw was the difference. And this has such significant consequences for us. You know, Christina Cleveland, um, who I mentioned last week in her book, uh, Disunity in Christ, uh, writes this. She says, fixating on differences leads us to ignore glaring commonalities and focus on distinguishing ourselves from other groups, making it less likely for us to think that we should get to know other groups and collaborate with them. Fixating on differences leads us to ignore glaring commonalities. This very thing was happening to the church in Galatia. These early Christians were falling into the old, old way of being human. You have to understand that in the early days of Christianity, people in cities like Galatia were coming together from often very different places and backgrounds. And surprise, surprise, there was a tendency uh, to not only focus on the differences, but at times to demand that one group would become like the other or that one group held all of the truth and the other was completely wrong. And so there were these lines being drawn, demands being made, value being assigned. And Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia and says, you have to understand that the old ways of being human, they've been done away with. I mean, you can keep living that way no one can force you into the new humanity, but there is something far, far better than what you are choosing. There is a way to embody a humanity that does not forget its commonality. And just listen again to the language that Paul uses. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are all children of God. This you have in common, Paul says. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a commonality shared by all of you. And you are all Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. Now, this might fall a little deaf on our ears. But what Paul is saying here is that Abraham, the person whom all those years ago God promised, that Abraham's descendants would be greater than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And God said, those descendants of yours, I will bless so that they can be a blessing to the world. And of course, the Jewish people are through blood descendants of Abraham. They are his seed. But now because of Christ, that extends beyond just the Jewish people. Now anyone 
who is baptized in Christ, who belongs to Christ, who follows Christ, anyone is now one of Abraham's seeds and heirs to this promise, the promise of being blessed in order to be a blessing to the world. Paul says, these are the things that you have in common. These are the fundamental truths that bind you together. Are there differences? Yes. Will there always be differences? Yes. But there are things that transcend the difference and the the reasons for division if we are willing to rediscover them and remember them. Now you may say, Chris, you don't understand. I have nothing in common with so-and-so, with that enemy, with the other, whoever the other might be for you. I would challenge you to, to really consider whether that is the case or not. I've been doing a little bit of thinking myself about, because it is so in front of us to, you know, these days, our, who I guess I would have to call my political rivals, you know. There is much um, that I differ um, with, with folks on, certainly. But if I can pause for a moment, um, it actually doesn't take long to realize the many, many possible places where I share commonality with my political enemy, if you will. I was thinking about how a person who's not going to vote like I am still might also know what it's like to be let down by politics. That's a commonality that we might have. Or if I think about my political rival, it's quite possible that they are feeling fear right now about the outcome of this election for very different reasons than I might. But that shared concern or fear is a point of commonality. Or at their best, I have to believe that this rival of mine, whoever they might be, wants what's best for this country or has someone in their life that they love and they want to see them thrive and we, we share that in common. Or maybe our commonality has nothing to do with politics. But is there nothing that we share? I mean, my enemy, my political rival, might they also not be a, a parent or a child? Or do they maybe have a job that's frustrating at times? Do they have a difficult boss? Do they live in the same part of the world that I live in? Have they grown up maybe experiencing similar things to what I have? Are they painting their house right now? And are they, are they working on a landscape project? Where are the points of commonality? 
And I think one thing I'm realizing is that in order to be able to identify these points of commonality, what I often need is proximity and curiosity. So this is where last week overlaps with this week. If I'm thinking about those people over there who are gonna vote that way, that's harder to find commonality with because it's just an amorphous blob of people, them over there. But if I think of someone in my life who I know who's going to vote differently than I am, uh, then there's a much greater chance of finding something that we have in common. The closer I am to someone and the more curious I am, I think the greater the chance that I might find places of overlap. And I know that with our fiercest enemies, it may be very difficult to come up with something that we have in common. And I think this is maybe where we lean into what I'll call the lowest common denominator. There might very well be people in our lives who it is just so difficult to think of nice things that we have in common. Um, but for all of us, and this is where we get back to the first week of this series, for all of us, the lowest common denominator is that we share our identity as people made by God in the image of God. And if that is the only thing that we can find in common, that actually in and of itself can be transformative. Here's why I think this matters friends. There are lots of reasons, I suppose, but here's a couple. I think that commonalities create compassion. When the only thing we see is what is different between us, the ability that we have to be compassionate is hindered immensely. But when I can begin to find places where our lives overlap, it, it, it creates, it helps to expand our ability and our capacity for compassion. And the other thing I think it does is it opens us up to the possibility, just the possibility of collaboration. Let me share a story with you that might illustrate this. It's been about three and a half years now when my, since my family had the privilege of traveling to Israel and to Palestine, the West Bank. And we, we intentionally took a trip there that was more than just uh, visiting the kind of touristy spots. We did that too, and those were actually you know, quite wonderful. But we made the choice to spend our time in Israel and Palestine doing what we could to learn about the people who actually lived there. We tried 
I guess without having this language in mind, we tried to get proximate. We tried to get close to the people who were living in this place so that we could better understand the conflict that existed between those who were Jewish and those who were Palestinian. So what that meant is that, uh, especially in our first week, we had the opportunity to meet and hear from Um, again, both Jews and Palestinians, on what it meant to be an actual human being living in this place. And as we got proximate to these folks and and had the opportunity to ask questions and be curious, it was transformational. And our first night, uh, we were in Jerusalem in a hotel. We were whooped from jet lag. Um, We almost didn't go. Uh, to this evening conversation in which uh, two women were coming to talk to our group. I don't think Bethany and I knew really anything much more than that. We just knew our group was meeting. This was part of the rhythm. Uh, You went and you, you know, you got a chance to hear these stories. So we walk into the room and there are these two women there who we learn are um, two mothers. One is Palestinian and one is Israeli. And that right there, the fact that an Israeli and a Palestinian would be sitting next to each other in the same room was, even to our kind of novice eyes and ears, we knew that was significant. Um, But then we learned that these two women were here because they were part of an organization called Parents Circle, an organization made up of uh, mothers who had lost children to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In other words, both of these women uh, had a child who had been killed by the enemy. These women, in other words, had every reason to hate each other. And they had every reason to only think about the differences between them. And this organization, Parent Circle, was breaking out of this old, old way of being human, though, because these two women were not the only two women in the organization. There were many parents who now were coming together to tell their story, believing that when they did, when they collaborated together, there was the opportunity for this cycle of violence to to be broken. And while they had all kinds of difference between them, and many of those differences were never going to go away, they found commonality in their shared experience, in their shared loss. And that commonality produced compassion for each other and a desire to work together for the good. And we sat there, I remember being exhausted at the start of of their storytelling and immediately being transfixed and immersed in these two people who had found a new way to be human, 
And I remember their story because I need to remember it. I need to remember that it is possible to step out of the old, old way of being human. It is possible to find commonality, even with enemies that have cost us such great pain. And that may not be easy and it may not come all at once. I'm not trying to paint too rosy of a picture here. This was gut-wrenching, hard, hard work that they had done. But something new was breaking out of the dried, cracked ground of conflict and violence as these two people worked to discover what they had in common. And so I wanna invite you today to consider where you may be able to discover commonality with those in your life who you consider the other, with people who you might assign the, the label of enemy. And discovering commonality is not a silver bullet then that all of a sudden fixes everything, but I think it opens the door to compassion and to the possibility even perhaps down the line of finding enough common ground to be able to work together, to move together for the common good. This is, I think, the new humanity that God is up to and inviting us to participate in. And so to help us kind of move towards that, I invite you to grab whatever you may be using for communion here while we are in quarantine. Bread and cup in some form. Give folks a chance to gather that.